0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the European show. I am your host Mo Stewart and we are going to be looking across the channel for this edition to our friends in France. Ligue 1 has been the place to see if you're a big fan of the big players with Lionel Messi joining there. But We're going to be looking a little bit aside from Lionel Messi, looking to the rest of the league and seeing if there's any other hidden gems that might well be on Liverpool's transfer radar. Now, I'm joined by CBS's France correspondent, Jonathan Johnson. John, thank you for joining us. Um, Let's get straight into it. Let's get with some names. Now, the name at the top of most people's lists in terms of a Liverpool target from Ligue 1 is Jonathan David. He is the top scorer in Ligue 1 right now for, for current champions, Lille. He's been playing fantastically well all throughout 2021. He's got 22 goals in this calendar year. And Lille have had their own tran- um, financial problems. So is this the kind of deal you can see happening in January? Or do you think that Lille are going to be one of those teams who are looking to save all of their transfer dealings to the summertime? Hey, great to be back on. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think this one, uh,
1: for a number of reasons, is now one to watch uh, going into the summer. I don't think it's something that will happen in the winter. I'd be extremely surprised if Lille... Uh, separate with too many more players, uh, mainly because they've already managed to get Jonathan Icone out of the door to Fiorentina. That's bringing in a bit of a fee. But also, I think the last time that we caught up was just before the final round of Champions League matches. And of course, Lille managed to finish top with their Champions League group, which means a significant financial windfall. And I think because of those two things combined, I don't think the pressure is really on Lille to sell as much uh, as it was before. Some could argue that there's more motivation for Lille to try and cash in on their players now uh, with regards to the Champions League given that they've drawn Chelsea but I don't think that Lille will be looking at it that way Uh, they'll want to try and keep as many of their best players as possible because Mm -hmm. they know that at the end of the day the summer transfer market is when the big deals get done and when we're talking about Jonathan David uh, you know we're talking about a player who's going to be fetching the most parts uh, of sort of that 100 million euro fee or at least he's going to be linked with club for, for for that amount uh it's interesting because his agent was speaking in canada just before christmas and basically confirmed that this is his final season mm-hmm. and so he will be on the move uh it just doesn't seem like it would make that much sense for the player for the club uh you know to to do a deal now unless. Uh, you know, there is a club, I don't know, maybe Barcelona, seeing if they seem to have come into uh, some new money of late, uh, you know, come knocking on the door. But really, I think that the chances of that happening are extremely slim to none. So Jonathan David, I, I keep uh, uh, I keep an eye on him going mm. into the summer. And I don't think he'll be going anywhere in January.
0: Well, first of all, that's a shame for most Liverpool fans to know he isn't coming in January. but. We have been linked with him for quite some time. You mentioned there's quite a few other clubs coming in for him. Obviously, his form this season is going to in the by the time we get to the summer, there'll be quite a few suitors. How well do you think Liverpool are in that pecking order in terms of a player's preference or maybe even any relationships between the clubs?
1: I mean, I think Liverpool would feature highly uh, on any potential players list, like in terms of those kind of transfers, Uh, you know, moving to the Premier League, you know, doesn't get more prestigious really than uh, than moving to Liverpool when you're, uh, you know, somebody like Jonathan David, uh, you know, a Canada international playing in France, just never... Tested himself in the Premier League, uh, and his agent's comments suggested that the Premier League and La Liga were sort of the two main focuses for him. Looking at the way um, the clubs are uh, in La Liga at the moment, the big clubs who would potentially be able to compete uh, for a player like David, it doesn't look like either Real Madrid or Barcelona or even Atletico Madrid, you know, will sort of be in. Uh, you know that uh, that scrap for his signature. You know, for various reasons, we know that Real Madrid are, are more focused on the likes of Kylian Mbappé, Erling Haaland. Uh, Barcelona seem to be, you know, ripping up, uh, you know, everything and starting over, so I don't think they'd be able to drop the money that would be required uh, to sign David, uh, you know, for just one player, so I think that puts Liverpool in a good position, especially if there are some changes to be made within the squad and that people have started to ask questions about how much longer Sadio Mane is going to be sort of, you know, an established member of the starting eleven at Liverpool Uh, and people might be looking at David as a potential uh, replacement for him, not necessarily like for like, but just sort of in the, in the starting eleven in the uh, in the attacking berth, so I I think Liverpool will definitely be well placed to to compete for his signature when it happens. I just don't expect it to be happening until the end of this season.
0: Mm. We may have to be a bit patient on that one then. But I think you're right. He's exactly the kind of profile of player I would expect Liverpool to buy to maybe try to push someone like Sadio Mane in a similar way that Diego Jota has done with Roberto Firmino okay so let's move on to the next target and someone in the midfield as opposed to a forward aurelian chouameni monaco's star midfielder once again admiring glances from all around europe over this guy uh before we go into the actual reliability of the transfer itself a lot of our fans may not necessarily have seen him because monaco haven't been in the champions league for the last couple of years is he worth the hype is he that good
1: yeah he is in my opinion i think he is arguably a better or more talented prospect uh than uh Thiemure, uh bagayoko who we saw move to chelsea a couple of years ago uh you know similarly uh you know broke through with monaco and then made the jump to the premier league hasn't really worked out for him with chelsea uh, and we've seen bagayoko moved uh on to milan since i think he's with there uh, with Napoli now as well so you know he hasn't necessarily you know, um, delivered on on that hype and promise. I'm confident that Germany will definitely be able to live up to everything that Liverpool fans are hearing about him at this moment in time. The thing that makes the situation complicated at Monaco right now is they're in the process of replacing Nico Kovac, and we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, Philippe Clement of Club Brugge hasn't been confirmed as his replacement yet, but he will be. Uh, the replacement for for Niko Kovac. So there's going to be a new coach for Chiromeney, and obviously he's going to have to get to know the squad. Uh, And this is a squad that has been improving uh, as the Mm. season has gone on. They had a difficult start to the campaign, crashed out of the Champions League, uh, playoffs in in very unfortunate circumstances against Shakhtar Donetsk, and they're going quite well in the Europa League. Uh, And I think, like with David uh, at Lille, I I can't really see Chiromeney. Sort of being on the move before the summer, but uh, you know I can safely say that you know there are going to be a, a, at least sort of ten big European clubs all looking at him, trying to trying to make their move.
0: I think there will be a bidding war for this player definitely, and um, it's interesting that all of the noise coming out of Monaco is that they are looking towards the future. Like I said, they are going to assess the situation in the summer. But as you mentioned, with the new manager coming in with us in the transfer window, is it beyond the realms of possibility? Perhaps this new man wants a few transfers of his own. They might be tempted by a potentially big offer to give him a bit more transfer funds if he wants to work in the immediate term.
1: I mean, I think they you know. Monaco would ask themselves that question if a big offer, you know, arrived on their doorstep. But the the thing that complicates the situation with Monaco at the moment is sporting director Paul Mitchell uh, has been linked with uh, moves away as well. It could be that he's <clears throat> sort of preparing to uh, to make a move himself at the end of the season. I can't see him moving at the same time as they change coach. Uh, you know, so I think as well he's probably having to put moves into place. Uh, in order so that his succession can be handled more easily. Uh sporting director is an extremely important position at a club like Monaco. You don't have the same matchday revenue. <clears throat> Obviously all clubs uh, in France and across Europe uh are dealing at the moment with uh the the impact of matchday revenue because of COVID-19 and uh you know the, the latest uh, wave of, of Omicron but uh you know monaco in particular even when COVID isn't around it's a difficult place for them to really monetize uh you know match their revenue so that makes their project a little bit different in terms of most clubs in europe where the sporting director i'd argue is more important than the actual coach so most of the transfer decision making will actually go through the sporting director and the coach will have I wouldn't say no say, but, you know, Mm. fairly little to say about it. Monaco have already moved uh, in the Brazilian market to sign Vanderson uh, this month. So it could be that they tried to move one or two on, but I don't think that those will be significant names. Mm. Uh, I think that they would be more, uh, you know, guys who perhaps haven't featured that much so far this season that Philippe Clement doesn't really see uh, a future for under him either.
0: It really is interesting the way that the sporting director role is so different in different parts of Europe. Because, I mean, we still have English managers and coaches who are resistant to the idea itself. I mean, Manchester United being a very good example. They've only just come around to this idea. But yet in France, as you say, they are so key to everything. I think of someone like Leonardo and his work in some of the other bigger French clubs and how he almost became the lightning rod for things when they went well and when they went badly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially when we're talking about a club like Monaco, which is extremely unique in terms of uh, its situation in Europe, uh, you know, the position of sporting director or director of football, uh, you know, really starts to, to come into its own. Uh, you know, I think it's quite rare these days that you'd see a manager pretty much anywhere in Europe where they can really sort of command that kind of power within the club now to be the decision, the sole decision maker, the most important voice uh, when it comes to deciding about potential transfers.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way of going about it. And I think from an English perspective, when we look across there, those kind of relationships, the clubs who have that system tend to be the ones who are building those relationships a little bit easier. So before we move away from transfer tattle, Let's try to give us Liverpool fans something to think about right now, because both of those, they're more summer prospects. Now, I've thrown a bit of a wild card in here, Jonathan, because Liverpool aren't technically linked with Seco Vavana, but I feel like they should be. Right now, he's absolutely tearing up Ligue 1 for a He's a midfielder who's a little bit older than some of our previous uh, targets, but He has experience of playing in England. Uh, He was obviously in the City, Manchester City youth system, and he played on loan at Fulham as a younger man. So hopefully these are the kind of things that could help him maybe hit the ground jogging as opposed to not necessarily running. Liverpool are quite short in midfield right now, and a guy like that who's playing at a high level, it's not going to cost the earth, I believe, the kind of 16 17 million euros would probably be a kind of deal that might bring longs to the table am i am i out of my league here is this a realistic target do you think
1: I don't think you're completely off there. I think the Seco Fafan has been an absolute revelation since signing for Lens, uh, and I can see why he's attracting so many admiring glances. Uh, you know, he's rightly uh, enjoying uh, a lot of praise at this moment in time for his performances. Uh, Lens, uh, you know, continue to defy uh, expectations and they're sort of there and thereabouts in terms of the European positions, which is great to see because Lens traditionally are a, a very big. Uh French club with a with a huge passionate fan base, not too dissimilar to the sort of fan bases that we that we see in England. Uh, and for Fana, I think it's inevitable that clubs will look at him as, as being extremely good value for money. Uh, I don't think Lance would have the same ability as a as a Monaco or a Lille to perhaps resist uh, an offer if it comes in, especially if we're talking sort of around the figures uh, that you mentioned earlier. And I think Key to all of this is the fact that lance got a very smart bit of business done very early on where they picked up Patrick Berg Uh, who arrived before the end of December uh, and will now be competing for places in midfield as well. I think in an ideal world, obviously, Lance would would love to keep hold of Fafana until the end of the season, but just in case somebody comes knocking at their door uh, with an offer that's impossible to refuse, uh, you know, I think Lance will feel very confident that they have the right man in Laurent Gisophie, who's the decision maker for for Lance when it comes to transfers, carving out a very strong reputation for himself uh, as their sporting director, finding players for, for good value <clears throat> and managing to turn a tidy profit when they sell those uh, talents on as well. You look at Berdy, who's not even a, a guaranteed starter at rent who they cashed in uh, on for about 15 million euros, I think, uh, last summer. So I don't think it's something that you can completely write off. Uh, but also I think it would have to be a very attractive offer for Longs mm-hmm. to, to come to the table because he really is uh, their star man uh, since they returned to the Young, really, not just this mm-hmm. season. You know, We're sort of talking now a season and a half of absolutely top-quality performances.
0: I think that's fair as well. And when you look at him, he's not just a player who would say, oh, he played defensively in midfield for Liverpool, or he's an offensive. He is what I would like to call a true eight. He can do a little bit of everything. And um, Obviously, when he was coming through Manchester City, it was inevitable he was going to draw some comparisons to Yaya Toure, who was a player who had done that job very well for them. I'm not entirely sure that he's at that level yet. But with, as I mentioned, the kind of financial restraints the club have, they clearly had to uh, wager for the idea that they might lose him. Do you think, I mean, what kind of number do you think they would have their heads turned at?
1: I mean, I think if we're talking sort of, you know, somewhere close to the 20 million euro mark, then, you know, they might consider coming to the table. Uh, You know, I think, that, for them, would be considered uh, you know, a very good profit, maybe one that they don't think that they'd be able to top uh, going into the summer. Because a lot will also depend on what happens for Loss over the second half of the season. If they're to qualify for Europe, suddenly the argument is stronger for him to stay with the club, uh, to continue with them. Uh, but also, at the same time, if they don't qualify for Europe, then suddenly his value drops uh, and they'll be looking at getting less uh, money in. I mean, I think considering the way that he's performed now over the best part of two seasons... Uh, his value won't uh, you know drop too much more but at the same time I can't really see it getting much higher than say the 20 million euro mark so you know if if Lance feel that if they if they agree with that and feel that his value is not going to you know, to, to to skyrocket any further, then they might decide that now is the time to to cash in. But also, it depends. Uh, you know how Berg beds in as well. Uh, you know they they have uh, a lot of talent in that midfield. But also at the same time, the way that the team is set up, you know they need a bit of depth as well. So there's not a guarantee that they would decide to to sell him. But I think say if the Offer was weighted towards uh, more immediate cash now than Mons might be more willing to, to separate with him than something that was saved based on instalment.
0: The Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. These are the difficulties with trying to sign anyone in January. All teams are in the middle of their season and all teams have their own priorities. But unfortunately for French teams, The financial situation puts them at such a disadvantage that they may have to do things that they don't really want to do.
1: It it does, but there's also something coming up on the horizon which might change things. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Liverpool fans have seen what's been going on in La Liga where they've had basically a, a commercial vehicle for the league that's been set up where a percentage of that has been sold to investment firms and then that money comes into the clubs. To, they think, well, they're trying to put that into place right now. Uh, you know, that that work is being done behind the scenes by the LFP. Uh, and there's talk that the French clubs, because more of them are, are, are on board with it than in Spain, you know, there's less division about it. I think most of the clubs uh, recognise that this is perhaps the way that French football can be saved financially in the short term. Uh, and these clubs will benefit from a windfall from that money that won't necessarily be able to be put into transfers, the stuff that will be put into infrastructure, uh, you know improving facilities, but also <coughs> paying paying off existing debts as well. So that's also an important financial development which might push clubs to try to make business with them now while the, while the pressure is still there.
0: It's hmm. so an interesting development. We'll have to watch the space on that one. See how those negotiations go. But obviously, we mentioned the financial situation, and part of that is down to, as you mentioned previously, uh, a reduced crowds in all league on games due to COVID. But to be honest, there's a certain element of some clubs who may be pleased to see less fans because, unfortunately, the other big story in league on across this season has been crowd trouble, crowd. Uh, fans getting onto the pitch, fans throwing things onto the pitch, assaulting players, assaulting coaches, something that started uh, from the very beginning of the season, pretty much. And this seems to become a bit of an epidemic and a real issue for fans or or audience members who maybe aren't aware of the story. Try to give us a bit of a a catch up on the timeline between those very first incidents and when the French Federation felt that they had to get into intervene with this.
1: Yeah, so uh, unfortunately there's been a a spate of ugly scenes over the course of the season. French fans were allowed back into stadiums at the beginning of the campaign. And um, pretty much from the off, we started seeing, uh, you know, pretty unsavory incidents. Uh, we saw Nice at home to, to Marseille, where things were thrown by the crowd, fans were on the pitch, there was, you know, a lot of fighting. Um, we've seen other incidents as well. We mentioned Lens earlier, uh, there were uh, fans on the pitch, uh, you know, clashes where, when they were, um, playing the Derby, the Northern Derby, against Lille. Uh, and also uh, the the most famous recent incident of Dimitri Payet. Again, Marseille involved uh, getting hit by a water bottle uh, when Marseille were taking on Lyon right at the beginning of the game. The game got postponed. Uh, that one will be replayed. Uh, nice Marseille was replayed. Uh, Lyon have been docked at points, uh, you know, for basically allowing that sort of thing to happen. Nice were also Dr. Points point uh, as the, the, the host team in that game against Martin earlier in the season. Uh, and there was another uh, unsavory incident in the French Cup as well involving Lyon once more. They were away at uh, Paris FC. Uh, it was a draw at the break when the, the game was postponed because of flashes uh by people in the crowd, spectators, not not necessarily fans, but, you know, people who security hadn't been able to to root out and and make sure to keep out of the stadium. Uh, There's been some talk that a few um, sort of estranged PSG Ultras managed to to access uh, the stadium for that game and clashed with some Leon hooligans who wouldn't necessarily be in attendance either. Uh, You know, and it basically created this absolute mess where you sort of see... People, you know, holding like running battles in the in the stands. Uh, you know, people ending up on the pitch. It was just very messy. There were flares thrown, projectiles, which you know is a, a recurring theme uh, this season. So, basically, the last couple of weeks have been the the French football league, the French football federation uh, working hand in hand with the government to try and work out stronger um, sanctions uh, that can be handed down to to clubs uh, and. Just the result of those clashes between Lyon and, uh, and Paris FC has basically seen both teams kicked out of the, the Coupe de France. Uh, Lyon uh, won't be uh, having away fans at any remaining domestic games this season, so basically Lyon will only be able to take away fans now to games in Europe because uh, they remain in the Europa League. Uh, there have been fines handed down, uh, but you know, obviously that counts for, for Paris FC as well as the, as the host club. Uh, they have been viewed as not having had uh, adequate security in place for that and it's there's now a pressure on these clubs to one get the get the right amount of security because these these incidents keep happening we saw over the weekend in the coup de france there's still a lot of uh, projectiles flares uh you know being thrown uh and it's it's really a question now of trying to stamp down uh you know and completely get rid of this epidemic within the game because we were talking earlier about the, you know, the, the economic vehicle for, for Ligue 1 that can potentially, uh, you know, breathe new life into French football. It's, it's only going to be worth a certain amount where you still have these kind of problems uh, in the game. So it's really in French football's favour uh, for them to, you know, stamp this out and, and, and get rid of these uh, recurring incidents if they want, uh, you know, to be able to build towards the future.
0: It's, it's a weird situation though, isn't it? Because I think so many factors could have played into it because we mentioned there the ultras and some of these incidents do appear to have gone along traditional French rivalry lines but I I find it hard to believe that the pandemic and the, the, the time we were out of stadiums hasn't contributed to this kind of almost feral nature of some of the, the fans and some of the involvement but when it comes to trying to stop people, trying to get them to understand it, the, the clubs themselves, it appears they're the ones who really need to take the lead on this because, I mean, essentially they're the ones who can influence these people who are potentially supporters of their team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of these clubs are learning the hard way right now. Lyon, you know, one of the, the giants of the French game, are having to take really serious measures with their own fans. Uh, because of the these incidents that have happened against the likes of Marseille and against the likes of Paris FC in recent weeks, uh, and it's uh, you know it, it's leaving clubs uh, you know facing a uh, you know f- facing a lot of pressure uh, you know to make sure that they really get their their fans in line because obviously they need the fans there they need them to create an atmosphere to you know to to, to make uh, the the league product more attractive but also at the same time they don't want uh, you know. People there, if they're going to make the atmosphere uh, not necessarily poisonous, but feel dangerous, you know, um, you know, make people feel like they can't really go to the stadium. It's it's similar, not quite as serious, but similar to the issues that PSG faced before the Qatari takeover, where eventually the solution was to get rid of all season ticket holders for a while. It was a very heavy-handed uh, mm-hmm. solution, but also at the same time, the the circumstances were. You know, particularly unique in that uh, you know fans were literally dying outside of the stadium, which mm-hmm. thankfully, uh, you know, the situation is not quite that uh, grave just yet. But the the worry is that it could get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, you know, you're right to, to point out that uh, you know this is something that's basically flaring up since people have been allowed back into the stadiums after after COVID, after lockdown. Uh, and that's something that the league are pointing to that you know it's not just. Uh, you know, football fans. It's a reflection of society on a whole. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, football can only really police itself, which is why there's so much importance now being placed on the clubs to to do what they can do. Uh, you know, to to keep the environment uh, you know friendly and safe for people who want to attend.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's all we ever ask. Everyone who wants to go and watch football should be allowed to go and watch football in peace. And the only trouble they should have is if their team isn't doing the business on the pitch. I think that's fair to say. Uh, Speaking of the players on the pitch, their welfare is another thing we need to put into this contest. Because as I mentioned, we've had players coming onto the pitch. And to be fair, we've had a bit of a spate of that in the Premier League as well. But it's mostly kids trying to get shirts. But there is a time when these incidents can start to put players in fear, particularly when you have world superstars, like lights of Mbappe and Messi at PSG. People want to come on and, and touch them. But if they don't feel safe in those environments, how long are they going to remain in France? Could they start to think, well, I need to get out of here as soon as possible?
1: I mean, I think that, that it is something that, you know, they might think about. I don't think it would be a real pressing concern. You know, generally speaking, they're they're fairly well protected. For example, that sort of thing really couldn't happen uh, at Parc du Pass. So if we're talking about PSG superstars, the where they play the majority of their games, uh, you know, and okay, it might happen occasionally um in League 1, but like you said, it's more sort of a a friendly thing you know you might see a kid run on uh you know we saw it happen again a couple of years ago just after france had won the world cup where he ran on uh, to meet mbappe uh you know it's there's less of sort of like the potentially menacing ones where we saw a fan run on run on the pitch at marseille uh you know trying to to get to lionel messi but of course uh, you know there are as well I guess, what we could call repeat offenders. Uh, You know, there are some of the same names that keep cropping up from time to time. Marseille have been involved in multiple incidents. Lyon have been involved in multiple incidents. So there is a lot of pressure on these clubs to make sure that these kind of incidents don't happen, that they police their own fans well enough. Uh, And then, you know, if, if incidents do happen in the future, then it's somebody else's. Uh, concern, You know, obviously the expectations will be the same across the board, but there's a particular importance on the clubs who have already been involved uh, in some of these unsavory incidents this season.
0: It's one we're going to have to watch this space and hope that everybody in France can just chill and watch the football, which is still fantastic. We didn't even get a chance to speak about that on this edition of the show. We kind of went heavy on the transfer stuff. But, Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. I'm sure the next time we talk about it, we'll be able to go into exactly how fantastic some of these football teams are in France. Yeah, looking forward
1: to it. Thanks a lot for having me
0: on. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.